Christian if we haven't met, and uh, welcome to South Bend City Church. Uh, if we haven't met or you haven't been here before, you might be wondering what this is all about. Uh, we're kind of on our way to becoming a church, and we've been gathering on Sundays and Tuesdays for, actually, I can't believe, it's only been two months that we've been doing Sundays and Tuesdays. I can't decide if it feels like it's been a minute or 10 years. Um, when we're loading in on Sunday morning, it feels like it's been 10 years. But uh, we're just getting started, and there's a whole bunch of us who gather here, and we come from a lot of different places. One thing we're convinced of is you don't have to agree with us on anything. You don't have to stand where we stand on the story that we tell around here. You could have come from many different places. Um, but wherever you're coming from and whatever you think, like, we want to know that you can belong here, and we want to welcome you and just let you know that uh, this is a place that cares about you a lot. And what we want for you is what we want for everyone, which is just lots of grace and peace for you. Um, we think those things come through Christ and through the story that we learn from him. And we think we grow into those things by following him. But you can think whatever you want and still know that we, we badly want grace and peace for you and we want to share those things with you. So that's what we're about, through songs and prayers and opening the scriptures and a bunch of other stuff that goes on. And uh, we've been around a little bit. Like the Tuesday night crowd, I feel like we owe you an apology because in the last like four weeks we've been in the Discovery Ballroom upstairs and then the Bendix Theater, which has its own charm of sorts. <laughs> and then last week we were, we were at the Belly Burst, which we're going to talk more about in a little bit, but now we're kind of back in the digs that we are used to. Uh, now, if you've been around, you know that we are about to move into the Studebaker factory, the old factory on the south side of South Bend by the South Bend Cubs. For months, we've been saying we're one week closer. We don't know when, but we're one week closer. And finally, tonight, I'm very excited that we have a move-in date and we will be doing church in the Studebaker starting in two weeks. How's that sound, right? Do I have it? Or three. June 25 is what I mean, okay? June 25. We have two more Tuesdays left. Does that make sense? We have two more Tuesdays left here. So uh, here's the deal about that first day in Studebaker. Um, we've got this old factory floor that we've been working on. We've been redeveloping, building new kids' rooms and bathrooms and cleaning it up and getting it ready. And there's going to be a new sound system going in and chairs and that kind of stuff. That first Sunday, Tuesday, June 25 and 27, that's not like some big, sexy, grand opening, look at us and how sweet we are. It's like not that at all. This is more like when you've got a friend that gets a new apartment. And you're excited, and you grab a bottle of wine and some carry-out, and you go there the first night they have the keys, and you sit on the floor because there's no furniture. <laughs> but you're really excited. And while you sit there, you can just start to dream and get this picture of what life will be like for the season ahead in that space, right? And you may not have everything perfectly in place, but there's just a feeling of hopefulness and looking forward. That's what we want for that first week in Studebaker. So, and we'll have some furniture. We might have chairs around. I don't exactly know. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. That day is going to be less of a program service like this and more a chance for us to just get our hands on that space together and uh, pray over it and bless it and dream for what good can come in that place. And uh, so you'll walk in, we'll probably huddle up for a little bit as a community on that Sunday morning and Tuesday night. We might sing a song or two. Um, and then we might have some sort of self-guided ways that you could move around the space with you or your friends or grab some strangers because if you've been here more than once, you are a... Yeah, right? Grab some friends and um, just move around the space and pray and dream together. And the one thing else that we're going to do that day is we are going to uh, come to Jesus' table together and share communion with the bread and the cup because it just seems like the right way for us to break into that space. So that's coming up June 25 and 27. And I just want to say again that the reason we can do that is because so many people have been just insanely generous and we're really grateful for that. And we feel every day both really excited about the opportunity that we have and really sober-minded that we've been given a lot to steward 
And so we spent a lot of time thinking about how can we make the most of that for our neighbors and everyone in South Bend. So that's coming up. If you want to give today, I remembered, uh, you can make an offering right now. Um, our greeters have some baskets, but no pressure whatsoever. Uh, we just want to make that open to you if that's something you want to do. And you can always give online. Um, Oh, one more thing about the Studebaker, which is in the next couple of weeks, there's a couple of projects that we can get our hands on together. So there's some skilled labor going on, like where things that weigh hundreds or thousands of pounds are being hung from the concrete ceiling. I'm not inviting you to that. I'm not invited to that, right? Like we have contractors for that. And then there's some unskilled labor, like the Jason level. You might be at the Jason level of manual labor. And uh, we're gonna have a couple opportunities. Uh, we're creating our own acoustic panels, which may not sound that exciting but it saves us thousands of dollars and it'll make the room so that you can hear anything in it. And that'll be really good. So we're gonna make those. Um, we're gonna put uh, EVA foam flooring in the kids' rooms so they're not bouncing around on hard concrete. Seems like a good idea. And those are a couple of projects. The problem is every day, if you've ever done like construction, you know that like there's just a lot of moving parts and you might find out with 12 hours notice, okay, tomorrow's the day that we're gonna be doing that. So if you just pay attention to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram feeds as a church, We'll give you as much notice as we can if you want to jump in on that. It might be at the end of this week or early next week. We might just say, hey, if, if we can get five, six pairs of hands to join us in the factory anytime today, we've got some work that we could do together. So uh, keep an eye out for that if you want to get in there and then look forward to June 25 and 27. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's very good. Uh, hey, we're going to sing and pray and reflect together a little more. So, uh, Dan, you want to take us forward? Well, uh, as we've gotten started, we've been in the beginning of the Bible, which is the book of Genesis, and we're going to keep working through that together. Um, but a word about that. So we've talked about creation stories and flood stories, and maybe you've heard some angles that you haven't heard before, or maybe you've wondered where some of that comes from. Um, and as we thought about that, one of the reasons we wanted to do Genesis first as a community was not just for all the incredible and important things that it says to us about what it means to be human, but also because I think it's, it's a good case study in the challenge and the excitement of reading the Bible. Because the Bible is a peculiar, challenging, uh, sometimes confusing uh, book to wrestle with. And as a community, we really want to dig into that together. So maybe over the last few weeks, you've had fresh questions or you've wondered, how is our community reading this? Or how are we putting the pieces together on this? Or what's sort of behind the scenes or under the hood on the way, like when I or Ryan teaches or when we talk about these big questions. And so we're going to turn to that for a few weeks when we're done with Genesis. And by the way, we're not doing all 50 chapters of Genesis for the next three years because it would take like three more years. We've got a, a few more weeks with that. And then right after we move into Studebaker, we're going to turn to this, this bigger question about what is this book and what do we do with it and how is our community reading it and what does it mean to take into account the history of what uh, it looks like to be faithful to this book in the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition and what does it look like to read this book in the year 2017 and to wrestle with it. So for a few weeks, right after we move into Studebaker, a new series, I love this, we're calling it Bible Rehab. And we say that because um, maybe you feel like your relationship with this book is out of joint and it needs to be rehabilitated. Maybe uh, you grew up fond of this and you still feel very fond of it, but you're opening up new questions with it. Maybe you grew up distant from this book and you wonder why crazy people would ever gather in a room and talk about it for any amount of time. I don't know what your relationship is to this book, but we're going to talk about that and some of the ways that our community has been reading it and, and what we're thinking about how to approach that. So really excited about that coming right up. Uh, but today we're in Genesis. Uh, there's scripture in the program that you got when you walked in. And I don't know that we say this very often, but 
I hope that one of the benefits of, of giving you that, that handout is that you could actually take that scripture home and if something gets provoked in you when we gather, if, if something gets moved, if, if you realize there's something going on there that you want to press further into, I hope that the gift of having that, like that tangible, tactile piece of paper is just a little encouragement to keep pressing in, maybe to return to that text, to keep listening, to keep exploring, to keep poking at it and see what comes of all of that. And uh, so that's why that's there, besides just for our gatherings. Uh, so Genesis 11, this is a, a very peculiar story, uh, sometimes called the story of the Tower of Babel. And so we're going to do what we've often done, is we're just going to like move through the text, observe some stuff, put some things on the table that come out of it, and then see if we can put them together a little bit. So let's just uh, get into it. You guys, everybody good? I know like half of our community just gave their all during Best Week Ever in South Bend, which I love and we're going to talk about more, but I sense a collective like recovery tonight <laughs> from all of that, and that's totally okay. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to be chill. If I catch you sleeping, you get a pass tonight if I know that you volunteered sometime last week. I'm just kidding. Everybody gets a pass. You're fine. Um, let's just dig into it. This is Genesis 11, chapter 1, or verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar from water. Let's, uh, let's call a timeout right there. This is one of those places in the text where thousands of years later, you can be reading it and just pass right over a detail that seems really boring. They used brick and mortar. Cool, right? This, this might feel a little bit like a story that says, and then they made cars using steel. Like the steel part just seems kind of basic, right? Or like, and then they put a swimming pool in their backyard and they filled it with water. Like the last part just seems to go without saying, right? But uh, we should pause for a second because this is really important for the original audience. So, um, so this is uh, us getting back into the mindset of the people who tell this story to their community at the very beginning. And, and you're Israel and your home base is right up against the Mediterranean, the same place that Israel is today, right? Now, if you go there today, you'll see almost exactly what they saw all the way back then, which is in that land, one thing you have a lot of is stone. Lots of stone, lots of rock that you can get your hands on, okay? Which is great, because it's just like pre-made building material, right? I mean, you can, you can build homes, you can build cities with stone. You, know, you just mine it out of the earth. Sometimes you cut it to fit the things that you want it to fit. Uh, has anybody seen pictures of the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall in Jerusalem? Uh, President Trump was there just recently. There's a picture of him with his hands against the wall there where people go to pray. Well, that, that massive wall, if, if you go up to it, is just incredible blocks of stone that came out of the earth and were cut to go there. That's the kind of thing that you do when you've got those materials, like in that Mediterranean little strip there called Israel. Right? Everybody good so far? Um, but if you go to where this story is referring to, which is modern-day Iraq, which is Babylon back in the day, which... If you've noticed, Babylon keeps coming up as we talk about the story of Genesis and Israel. Well, that's a part of the world where they don't have a lot of stone. Now, stones are great for building things, but they're awkward and they're misshapen, and before they figured out how to shape them with other tools, you can only go so far with stone when you've got round, oblong things that you're trying to put together, right? I mean, it just makes sense that you can only go so high with something like that. So what's going on in Babylon is they figure out that if you take clay or mud or whatever, and you pack it just right, and you bake it just right, you can make your own stones. And not only can you make your own stones, you can make them fit exactly the way you want them to fit. This is actually a story about technology, right out of the gate. This is a story about human beings developing their skill, getting their hands on raw materials, and getting smarter and better at fashioning something out of that, and making it do work for them. 
which is technology, right? This is like whether it's inventing bricks or the wheel or silicon resistor chips that create computers, this is technology. This is human beings getting smarter and more skilled and figuring out how to shape raw materials to do work for us. So it's just interesting to observe that this is a story about technology. And what we'll see in a second is it's not just a story about technology, but it's a little bit about what technology can do to us and like the things that it stirs up inside us. Like, have you ever gotten your hands on a new technology and you start to use it and you get a little dopamine rush in your head? You know how good that feels, right? Right? Like the first time you got your hands on an iPhone, right? Not an Android, obviously, but the first time you got your hands, <laughs> that joke is always for Ryan. <laughs> so like, let's, let's move away from that contentious issue for a second and let's talk about like your climate control in your home. Now, this might be shocking to most of us, but there was a time and place in the world where human beings didn't enjoy air conditioning and central heating. I know, right? That's ter terrifying, especially if you live in the Midwest, trying to think about that. But, you know, you might be very, 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 very wealthy, and then you can have servants who stoke the fires in your, in your bedroom fireplace while you're asleep at night and make sure that you've got coals underneath the covers to keep you warm and keep the house kind of going. And in the summer, you might have large windows that kind of breeze their way through the house. But then somebody came up with central heating and air conditioning. And then somebody came up with thermostats that you can program so that ahead of time you can decide you like to sleep a little cool, but to help you get out of bed, you want like a little three degree bump at 7 a.m., right? Or 9 a.m. in my case, right? Like this is a big deal. And the day that you get to do that, you feel kind of this fresh rush of power, right? Like look how I can control my little world for a bit. Around me, I can just create a world that's very comfortable, right? And then somebody figures out, shoot, we don't need like just a thermostat that's stuck on the wall. I'm going to create something called Nest. By the way, Apple spinoff, just saying. <laughs> and I'm going to give you access on your phone. And you could be laying in bed and in real time, you could just decide to turn up the temperature or down the temperature. And pretty soon you live in a world where what you want is what you get when you want it. And all kinds of technology offers that to us, right? And this is not an anti-technology talk because technology tends to just amplify the good and the bad. Right? Technology can be an incredible tool for good, incredible tool for bad. But, but there's that little feeling like, oh, wow, I have a little more power. I have a little more ability to make the world the way I want it to be all around me. Right? You might even say that when we get our hands on new technology, we're tempted to deify ourselves a little bit. Because what does it mean to be a god if not to live in a reality where you get what you want when you want it with no resistance? So these guys, they have this brand new technology. Um, by the way, like for the social historical nerds in the room that want to go further, there's a, there's a little scholarly backstory that people posit these days that Babylon being an enemy of Israel, there's also like, what do you do with when your enemy has technology that you don't have? Right? But let's keep reading. Let's see what they do with this new technology. This is uh, verse 4. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of of the whole earth. Come, let us build a tower that will go to the heavens, make a name for ourselves, and keep ourselves gathered up in this place so we don't have to go out to the ends of the earth. Let's talk about this for a minute. So, mind you, you've got people that quite literally believe in a, in a hierarchical, structured universe where God really is up there somewhere, right? In fact, uh, at the time, they, they seemed to believe that there's like a metal dome above us. The sky isn't just space, but it's a dome, which makes complete sense. If sometimes rain comes down and sometimes it doesn't, something must be holding it up, right? And if you see stars in the sky and you're smart enough to know that things that are up come down unless something holds them up, which is like 
basic elementary primordial human physics, right? Like you can figure that out and you see, you see things that are up, well then something must be holding them up, right? So these are people who live in a world where they literally believe there's a metal roof overhead and in the attic is God or the gods. I mean, really, this is the way an ancient mind puts the world together as they observe it, right? And these people say, we're going to build a tower so high that we can get our hands on God. We're going to build a tower so high with our impressive technology that we're going we're gonna to get to where the gods are, which makes us a little bit like the gods, doesn't it? And they say, that, what do they want to do? They want to make a name for themselves. It says right there, their motivation was, let us make a name for ourselves so that we don't scatter out into the world, and of course, this is a time when cities present a certain kind of safety, right? Because the world is wild out there. There are not interstates with toll plazas, right? The world is wild out there and dangerous out there. And we will do this thing that keeps us together and safe. So this story actually lives at the intersection between technology and security and glory, glory for us, right? Like make a name for ourselves and protect ourselves. And by the way, we have these really sexy new tools that we've created that help us live the lives that we want to live. The story actually lives at the intersection between technology and security and glory. And this story has some ideas about how toxic that intersection can be, that there are problems there when, when technology, which is a form of power that we attain for ourselves, and, and then the, the craving need that we have to feel secure and, and the ways that we just tend to fashion worlds that are all about ourselves. Like when you put all that in a blender, you get a nasty cocktail and the story is gonna hint to that, that being a very bad thing. The first way it hints at it, it's a, it's a really dumb little joke in the text that you could just go right by. It's like a preacher joke. Like it's kind of punny and, and you probably won't laugh at it, but I laugh at it and I think it's really great. So uh, the next verse, remember, they're building a tower, the point of which is to show that they can get all the way up to God. Right? That's the tower here, right? Listen to the next sentence closely. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. It's like a little jab. Oh, that's cute. Are you building a little tower? Right? Oh, is that neat? Is it going to come all the way up to the heavens? Let me bend way down and let me see if I can take a look at the top of this thing. It's a little jab. It's a little joke. It's a little irony from the author saying, good luck, nice try. Right? And then see where this goes from there. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Um, this apparently is not a good idea. <laughs> This is not the way that human beings are supposed to be behaving. There's some problem with this. Now, to, to get at what's underneath the problem, like what's structural about this problem, there's, there's a verb that shows up uh, three times in nine verses. And in, in, in ancient language, especially when texts are so scarce, like any time a word gets repeated, that's like a red light blinking saying, pay attention to this. This is a, a clue like letting you know what's at work underneath this text. And the one word that shows up three times there, the verb, Scatter, yeah, scatter, scatter. Now, now here's uh, why this matters. Um, in Genesis 1, 27, 28, we looked at this already. The, the very first definition of what it means to be human, the thing that we are called to and made for, God says you're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it. 
You're supposed to fill the earth, like go out into every part of it and cultivate it. You're supposed to scatter out into the world and make something of the world. Get your hands on the raw materials and make something beautiful out of it, right? This is what it means to bear the image of God and to be human in our original vocation. This is the work we're called to. This is what it means to wake up in the morning and know why you are here. You're supposed to get out into the wild places, the untamed places, the uncultivated places, the ugly places, and get your hands on things and make something beautiful. And in case you thought that was just a blip on the radar, after the flood with Noah and the ark and the animals and all of that, they come out of that and God is basically rebooting the whole project. And just in case you think that God gave up on that, the thing he says to Noah and his, his family is, now I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. He says, again, I want you to scatter out there and make something of this world. And these people at this tower, what have they done? Instead of scattering and making something of the world, they've decided to gather and make something of themselves. And those are two very different things. Instead of scattering and making something of the world, they've decided to gather and make something of themselves. And I get the temptation. Because like out there, it is dangerous sometimes. It's wild sometimes. It's uncultivated sometimes. Out there, you might get lost and not know where you are or who you are. Out there, it can be really difficult. And there's all the temptation in the world to just huddle up and gather and keep ourselves safe and see if we can make something of ourselves because then we don't ever have to wonder if we matter. We don't ever have to wonder if we're going to be okay. But this story keeps saying, no, 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 to be human, to be alive, to understand where God is waiting for you is to go out into the wild, out into the world, to scatter and make something of it. And the problem here seems to be that they decided to gather and make something of themselves. Now, the more I've been chewing on this story and thinking about what it names in my life, the more I can relate. Like, I, I deeply relate to this impulse through lots of seasons and lots of experiences. It is very tempting to, like, find my, my safe huddle, my safe place, surround myself with security, and then from that try to make something of myself, to just kind of attain for myself the things I want, right? Uh, one example of that started seven years ago, because it was 2010, was the first time that I started sensing that maybe it was time to go out from the job that I had, from the safe place that I was in, and do something new to make something of some new place in the world. I was working at this great church, and a lot of you know, and some of you even come from Granger. And um, it's really hard when you have a job you love at a church you love, doing work that you love with like people you believe in, like to to think about actually going from that place. I really liked my job, guys. <laughs> I had a great job. I got to preach at a at church that um, I got to hear stories every week of the difference that it was making in people's lives. I had a retirement fund at Granger. <laughs> That was great, you know? Like, I liked that a lot. I knew who I was. I was affirmed in the work I was doing. That's really, really nice, you know? And so then this thing starts stirring up inside that tells you maybe the thing that you're being called to now is to go out from the safe place, to scatter to someplace new and get your hands on the world and make something of it. And all kinds of, like, anxiety structures and stresses and self-protective impulses crop up. And I'm like, no, 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 I like it right here, you know? And to, to add to that, like, one of the things I really, I want to do, like, I feel called to do, I get energized about, one thing I really want to do is I, I would like to write books. I, I think that would be um, something that is me using what I've got in my hands to make something beautiful in the world and to try to serve other people. And so while I was at Granger and I was preaching more, um, a few different people in publishing world reached out to me and they said, we think you should write books. And I said, so do I. <laughs> this is great, right? And some of these guys, they, like, have the keys to the kingdom. Some of them are, like, 
they work with really impressive writers and they have all the access points because if you want to write in the vein I want to write in, you need to get to a good publisher and they don't even talk to you if you don't have a good agent. Like they don't even have an open door for people who don't have that access point. And so I'm talking to these people who know what they're doing and we could work together to sort that out. And I remember one of these guys, I'm sitting, I'm meeting this person, it's in another city and we're in this private club that they're a member of and we're on these couches and we're talking about how I would go about writing books and this person, who's just trying to help me out and advise me wisely, he hears me start talking about, oh, by the way, just so you know, I think in the next couple of years, I might need to leave Granger because I think this thing is getting stirred up inside me that I need to kind of go and take a risk somehow and, and do this new work. And the guy looks at me and he's doing his job, which is just help me figure out how to get a book contract, right? And he says, just so you know, you're an idiot if you leave Granger before you write your first book. Because Granger's got this big national platform and and that, that's really helpful, and no publisher cares what a guy in South Bend with a church of 200 people is writing about. That's what he says. And I feel that, that tension just growing in my life, like, like, like huddle up in the safe place where everything is going swimmingly and, and make a name for myself, get a book out there, do that, right? Or like scatter, like go out into an untamed place, like a wild place, and get your hands on the world and make something new out of it. And I tell you guys, um, the last few years there, while I was still really grateful for the work that I was doing, I started noticing some things. For one thing, I noticed I was sleeping a little too easily at night. What I mean by that is I reached a point where I could not remember the last time that I was kept awake by a dream, something I was like super excited about in my work, or by like an anxiety because I was taking a risk and it was stretching me and I didn't know if it was going to happen or not. I was sleeping a little too easily at night. My prayers, like my prayer life was diminishing because when you're not taking any risks, there's no reason to open yourself up to anything beyond yourself, to anything bigger than yourself, right? You have a very like tightly controlled world, right? You can make it work for you. Why would you need to open up to any bigger reality, any divine mystery or anything like that when you can just make it work for yourself? And I had this thought at one point, which was, oh, this is how it happens. This is how people get to 50 or 60 or whatever. This is how people get on in life. And from the outside, you'd say, what a great career. Very impressive. Like, that's some good stuff. But you meet them and something's dead inside. And I thought, this is how it happens. Not overnight, right? You just make a little deal with all of this comfort each day. And I realized I don't want to do that. And so... Um, I've been looking at the story and I've been having a lot of empathy for these people in Babel, thinking I get why that happens, but I've been trying to listen to all of this story that says, remember, that's not what you're made for. And I've got to tell you guys, um, well, first of all, let me say this. This is really important. You could take a message like this and then start feeling empowered to judge other people and you get to decide whether they've taken a risk or not, whether they're gathering or scattering, whether they're make, trying to make something of themselves or something for the world. And I, I hope we could just agree, like, don't do that, right? Like, I know at Granger, um, I have teammates that I missed like crazy there, who, being, for, for them being there, is the wild thing they are called to. It is the risky thing they are called to. It's the faithful thing that they're supposed to be doing right now. So, like, you can't look at a circumstance and judge whether a person is living in faithfulness to the story or not, right? Because it's, it's so deeply about motivation. We wouldn't know enough about the, these Babel people to know whether they are judged or not if all we knew is that they built a tower one day, right? 
If we saw them building the tower, we wouldn't know enough to know whether it's okay to to judge that. It's the motivation that we hear about, that they're doing this so they can get their hands on God for themselves, so they can make a name for themselves, so they can secure themselves in an equation that they completely control. And it's only because we know all of that about them that we have any place that we can judge that, right? But I gotta tell you guys, uh, the last year with this church adventure, it has had a couple things going on. There have been a couple of moments where I'm like, I think I was an idiot. This is hard. You know what I mean? I've had a couple of those moments. Um, But I've had many more of the other kind of moment, and they're increasing. And I had a few of those in the week that we just went through together as a church. So last week, uh, a lot of you were a part of it, and I know this will just be returning to something that you were already a part of, but South Bend had our, our best week ever. It was like a citywide festival with all kinds of different groups working together to just like blow out the city and do something amazing for a whole week, right? And so um, all kinds of groups, including our church, like anybody who wanted to was invited to contribute events or ideas to South Bend's best week ever. And so our church got a, a chance to jump and do a couple of those. So one was the belly burst. And the belly burst um, was Tuesday night a week ago, which is why we didn't gather. And the, the underlying cause was to raise awareness and funding to work with some of our partners in South Bend on the issue of chronic homelessness. So Hope uh, Ministries and other groups there. Um, and at the same time, we wanted to have some fun downtown. <laughs> so it was our like sub-K unrun, the opposite of a 5K, where the point is to get to the donut stand as fast as possible and then pass out on a couch for a little bit. South Bend Tribune has an amazing picture of Ron on a couch in his very short running shorts <laughs> right after a donut, and it's amazing. I love it so much. And um, so we do this thing, and the weather could not have been more perfect, and we actually happen to be right in what will be our future neighborhood. I mean, we were like on the streets that will be our neighborhood of South Bend City Church, all around the South Bend Cubs and the Studebaker, and I was watching um, people like just really get into the whole unrun thing and like eat as many donuts as possible, and kids like running all around the yard. And I also looked at the results. Um, this very first year, like we're just getting started and nobody knew what on earth we were trying to do. And yet, like we had like 300 some people register to do the run and we were able to, after we spent money on everything that we had to spend money on, still give like $8,000 uh, to the cause of chronic homelessness just this year and we're just getting started. But that was, um, that was a really beautiful night. And then Friday night, Another thing that our team worked on together was a, like a peace garden. Uh, we used to call it a peace station, but you have to say peace station so they don't think you said something else. Peace station, right? So we did a peace garden there. And um, this was a, a team idea. And I gotta be honest, when I first heard it, I wasn't sure. I was like, trust you guys. Um, but there's a bunch of stuff going on in Howard Park Friday night. And that's right along the river there. And if you haven't been in Howard Park, you Gotta go. It's like one of South Bend's best kept secrets. This beautiful lawn along the river right up against the skyline. And so there's all this different stuff going on, but uh, we set up this thing right there at the river where you could walk through a sort of garden with these different wooden boxes with song lyrics on them. Everything from Kendrick Lamar to the Beatles to the movie Frozen. Sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, But the, the theme through all of it was basically letting things go. And then um, if, if you could just kind of slowly meander your way and reflect on some of the song lyrics and then you'd get to the, the river there, right there where there's a wall on the river and a few of us were there with stones. And we just wanted to say, do you have any anxiety, any stress, any grudge, any grievance, any fear about the future or something from the past that you're holding on to? And is it, is it like being carried with you? And do, do you just need to be done with it and let it go? And I got to tell you guys, we, um, you know, some people would kind of casually work their way through it. But some people, you would watch them, we were kind of at the end of it by the river, and I'd watch them meet one of our greeters at the beginning of the garden, 
and I'd watch the greeter explaining to the person what was going to happen. And I couldn't hear from that far away, but I could watch their face and their body language, right? And a number of people, I would watch them, and I would see kind of this curiosity, like, what is this thing in the middle of Howard Park? And I'd watch it, and I'd, I'd watch their face kind of like, oh. And sometimes I, I could see what I think was the question, do you have anything you, you'd like to let go? Because I would see a person be like, you know? <laughs> and then they'd start to maneuver through, the, through this little garden, and I could actually watch them as they came closer to the river. And for a few, their body language just softened the whole way they came, right? Like, they went from a busy day, stressed, and probably feeling somewhat disconnected from the things they were carrying in their heart. And as the, you, you could just literally see them softening and opening up. And for a few, they would come to us and they'd take a rock. And some of them were like breathing, like trembling. Um, where they'd close their eyes. They'd hold the rock in their hands. Some of them would kind of just like rub that rock. I could just imagine that they were bringing a lot of things to the surface. And then you'd watch them just let it rip into the water. And for, for us, this was, how, how do we bring some grace and peace to our city without being like preachy, without getting in your face? How do we do something that's congruent with all that we believe about the story of Jesus, but that isn't like tribal and like trying to drag you into that story and try to get you onto our ideological turf? How do we just meet you in this public space and do something that's accessible for everyone? And I remember I, I was so moved just watching this. And it, again, it was like the most beautiful week. The weather was perfect and the sun was setting over the river. And then after that, uh, we had like South Bend's best fireworks ever, which really were like the most ridiculous fireworks show I've ever seen in South Bend. And I was right there on the sidewalk at Jefferson outside of rest, uh, Render, the restaurant there. I was watching the fireworks and I was thinking about the week. And um, it caught me at a moment there that I realized I almost missed all of this. Because I had a really, really like well-constructed world. Because I had some power over my life and everything kind of fit together just right and so much of me didn't want to mess with that. And I, I, I um, was very grateful that night. Like really grateful. I was grateful for the friends around me, my tribe who said, you need, you need to do this thing that you're feeling called to. You probably need to quit your job and do it. I was grateful for Granger, the leaders of Granger, who said, yeah, you should do this. We want to help. I was grateful for the new friends that have become a part of this journey. Um, I do want to say uh, both because um, he did a really, really killer job and two, because he's about to take some very well-deserved uh, rest, um, that Ryan did a, a really amazing job all week and I'm really grateful to that, right? <laughs> so um, I think the Tower of Babel is telling us like you were not made to gather and make things safe. You're meant to scatter and be brave and make things beautiful out there in the wild, uncultivated world. A uh, little note, does anybody know what Sunday was in the church calendar? This is, if you come from a more liturgical, like a high church tradition, maybe you came from a Catholic or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Episcopal background, you might know this idea of the church calendar where every year the church moves through the same motions, um, returning to the story of Jesus every year. Anybody know what Sunday was? Pentecost, Pentecost. yeah, Pentecost, which uh, comes from the book of Acts, which we looked at before we did Genesis. And Pentecost is what we refer to sort of as the birth of the church. It's the moment right after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and gone to be with the Father. And his followers, there they are gathered up in a safe place. They're holed up in Jerusalem because they're still not really sure what's going on. They've been a part of this thing with Jesus for three years. This movement broke open into the world and then it seemed to be defeated and then he was resurrected. And then he said, don't worry, I'm going to be with you, but in a whole new way. And then he left. 
And that's about where they're at. That's about where they're at at Pentecost. And they're praying in a room in Jerusalem and the spirit breaks into them in a whole new way. And they get driven out to the streets, out to the streets. They, they get scattered out to the streets. And there they find themselves speaking in all these different languages so that every international person who's there for this high holy day for the Jewish people can hear exactly what they need to hear and invited into this beautiful story. And something about that unlocks the paradox underneath all of this. I mean, Jesus says, I will send you my spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's like Jesus is saying, same thing. I'm gonna make you alive. I'm gonna breathe in your lungs the way that God breathed in the dust and made Adam. And I'm gonna send you out. I'm gonna send you out into the world to make something beautiful of it. The paradox is that the church is the community that both gathers and scatters. Right? The, the paradox is that the church is the tribe that huddles for a moment of safe space for one another, right? But not so that we can stay here, but so that we can make one another brave and send one another back out. I mean, that's the paradox of the church. It's almost, I think of it like this breathing experience, right? That we breathe in together and then go out together. And that even if you feel physically isolated, geographically distant from other people who share this story, you are not alone. Um, you may need to think about whether you're in a safe place and whether that's good or not, <laughs> right? Um, and I wonder if for, for many in our community, if these stories are calling out of you some fresh bravery, some fresh realization that it's time to go out to a more wild and untamed place and make something beautiful because you have been given something beautiful. There's something about you. There's something about your hands, your skills, your heart, the wounds that you carry, the hopes that you have, the ways that you dream, there's something about all of that that needs to get into the world and made into something beautiful for everyone. Um, so I hope we cheer for one another. I hope we're the tribe that drives one another gently <laughs> into those wild places. If you're part of a healthy tribe, there may be times when you think it's time to go, to move on, to turn to a new season of life, to transition from one relationship to another. I don't know. If you're part of a healthy tribe, there will be times when the tribe around you says, hey, hold on a second. That may not be bravery that's sending you away. That might be immaturity, right? I mean, there may be times when a healthy tribe will say, hey, hold on a second. I haven't seen you dig roots in a long time, and I wonder what that's about, <laughs> right? So I want to I call that out. Um, but a healthy tribe will also help us discern for one another when is it time to go out and make something beautiful. Um, I want to pray, and while I do, I'm going to ask Dan if he'd just jump back up. And uh, we sang a song once already, but I think it's a good song for us to come back to. And if you want to stand to your feet, that might help. And when we, when we talk about the glory of God, which can feel like this very ambiguous thing, I think really what we're talking about is giving all our energy and our our creative power in our life to that which is bigger than ourselves, right? Not just a bigger idea, but God who holds all things together and God who is creating this world and making it beautiful and inviting us into that work. So um, I'll pray and then we'll sing uh, Take My Life and Glory to God and I'll just jump back up and give us a benediction before we go. God, every time I return to this story, I feel like my head gets lifted 
I breathe more deeply, I lift my chest, and I realize it is good to be human, it's good to be me, it's good for us to be us. Because the, the very first word that we hear is that we are made in your image and called to fill the world with good and beautiful things. And every time I return to this story, I'm struck by how comfort or fear or distraction can take me away from that story into smaller things. But I thank you that you've given us the scriptures and these songs and this community. And at the center of all of that, Jesus, who is teaching us what it means to go out into wild places with the spirit in our lungs, brave, making beautiful things. So I pray that you'd make us a brave tribe. I pray that some of the best stories we would tell would be the ones of people who go the ones that we send, the ones that we celebrate as they move on to new adventures. I pray that as we move into a semi-permanent home, that we wouldn't see that as a place to gather and settle, but as a place to gather so that we could send one another back out. And I pray that you would uh, just keep working for a few minutes if you want to as we sing. If you want to hang with us after, uh, a bunch of us usually walk over to Baker's. You're welcome to be there right across the street. Um, if you need a tribe that gathers around you and says, yeah, get out there and make something beautiful, this is a good place to belong. And some of that connection happens better there than here, right? So that's going on. Um, I also want to say, like, I'm really grateful um, to Ryan and our staff team. There's a ton of people in this room that gave a ton this week to our city. And so to all of you who did that, volunteers, leaders, people in our church who just work and work and work to love our city, that's um, amazing. And you guys inspire me a ton. And uh, we'd like to end with a benediction or a blessing, so let me say this. May you go to the wild, dangerous place. And as you go, may you know that you are not alone. And may we be a tribe that cheers for one another and makes one another brave. And as we go, may we have tons and tons of grace and peace for one another. And so we say, grace and peace be with you, friends. Amen. Love you guys.